Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and, the, and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that, they, so, that the, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its, in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You may be seated. If you'll join me in a in a quick prayer. Father, we open our hearts, open our minds to the teaching of your word. Father, your word is truth. It is the source of truth. It is all truth. Let us take it in as that. Let us take it in as the truth which sustains us. Father, I pray that your words be spoken and not my own. That as we leave this place, we take this truth with us to a world, Father, that desperately needs to hear it. We thank you, Father, in advance for the work that you're going to do. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So uh, when we were asked as elders to present the minor prophets, uh, I was given Malachi, the last book. So I don't know if I'm batting cleanup or if there was only one left over, so we're going to give it to Kyle. But I'm proud to to present the word that that God has presented in the book of Malachi. Uh, Moy read chapter 4, and we're going to get to chapter 4 in just a minute. But first, we're going to take a a walk through chapters 1 through 3. Malachi was written about 500 years before the incarnation of Christ. gives us a time frame. Uh, This was just after the fall of Edom. And uh, Judah and Israel were both looking, because of this fall, were looking for God's blessing. But God's blessing wasn't coming. It was withheld. So as a nation, they were almost pleading, why are you withholding this? We've done everything we're supposed to do. I want you to think as that as we go through that, that thought process of doing everything that we're supposed to do. Malachi, the word is often translated as my messenger, but many theologians believe this is actually the name Malachi, the the author of this book. It is... uh, written as a disputation, which is essentially a debate or a series of questions 
to elicit a response. Have you ever had one of those teachers that asks a lot of questions and, and garners that feedback, but then explains to you what the real truth is? In many ways, Malachi is a book very much like that. The predominant question throughout the book was, does God make a distinction between the good and the arrogantly evil? His response is that God's elective love is vindicated in His judgment. God's elective love is vindicated in His judgment. A lot of times we don't like to hear about judgment. But His love is displayed as that. His love is displayed out how He merits out judgment. It begins with talking about how God loved Israel or Jacob, but hated Esau, his brother. Frankly, what's happening is when God, speaking through Malachi, opens up to the, to the nation and he talks about how much he loves his children, how much he loves the nation of Israel, and they respond, what do you mean by love? And he responds by saying, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. Now we read that and we think, well, why would he hate Esau? Why why would that passion be driven? But that's not really what it's talking about. It's talking about choice. God chose Jacob over Esau. He chose to embrace Jacob. He chose to embrace the nation of Israel while he chose to reject Esau and the Edomites. God chooses. Make no mistake, God does choose. As believers, we know from God's truth that we are chosen. Now, I'll tell you, I wrestled with this at one point. Uh, A presentation was made uh, about God's will and, and people's man's choice. And I wrestled with that because at that time I held on to this belief. Well, I, I chose God. I, I made that proclamation. I decided to accept that. I, I made that choice. But I was confronted with the fact that I didn't make that choice without being pursued by the Holy Spirit. That did not come from Kyle Orell's generation of this revelation that God was who He said He was and leaned toward that. That's not how that happened. God pursued me. And if I look back at my life, if you look back at your life, you see that God pursued you and drew you to Himself until that point when He revealed Himself in such a way that you could not deny who He was. Romans 9, 11-16 says, In order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works, but because of Him who calls, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice in God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion." So then it not depends on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Again, we see clearly that God chooses 
one over the other. Now, we want to say, I don't know about you, but I've been in situations where I've dealt with this this choosing and not choosing, where I've dealt with this as a feeling of, well, well, that's not fair. Right? For 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 uh, I, I have to admit that as a as a young man in my teens, I often grapple grasp with that with my parents. Well, that, that's not fair. And, and we hear from our children, well, daddy, mommy, that's not fair. You have to ask yourself a question. Do I really want fair? Do I, do I really want that? Because fair dictates that God's judgment is if you're not holy and you're not perfect, you will suffer the fires of hell. That's fair. You violated the law. You have the punishment. Do you really want fair? No, I want to embrace grace. Romans 8.29 goes on to say, He chooses who He will favor and who He won't. We may not like talk about this issue of predestination, but we see it clearly in Romans 8.29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We don't necessarily like this idea of being predestined and elected, but again, God chooses who He will, and He chooses who He won't. He is sovereign. And we have to sit under that sovereignty. We also recognize that God's judgment doesn't just fall on Gentiles, on unbelievers. God's judgment is perfect. We have to understand that His judgment also falls on us as believers. He chastises His children. We, we don't like, I don't know about y'all, but I don't like the thought of being corrected. I don't like that thought. When I'm presenting something, I don't like to be confronted with the fact that, well, I don't know that I agree with that. I don't like to be corrected. But I absolutely embrace the desire to be correct. If I embrace the desire to be correct, I have to also embrace that desire to be corrected by a loving Father who points me to Him as the ultimate truth. Would you agree with that? So now we're going to get into Malachi's talking about offerings and sacrifice. What he points to is that Israel was begrudging in their offerings, and that was condemned by God. Remember what I said just a minute ago, we're doing everything we're supposed to do? God said you may, doing, you may be doing the act of what you were called to do, but your motivation and your desire behind that is all out of whack. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. God asked through Malachi, if I'm your father, and as his command is, you're to honor your father, correct? If I am your father, where is my honor? He references some areas where dishonor is actually taking place. You offer polluted food on my altar. You offer blind animals and livestock, the lame and the sick. You don't offer me your best. 
You offer me what's left over. You offer me things that that aren't perfect anyway, so why don't we give it to the Lord? He goes on to say, you give to the governors what is good. You don't want to be seen as less than in giving to them. Why do you do that to your heavenly Father? I think about uh, times that I've seen where... uh, Drives are given to donate to NICO or the Salvation Army or, or a similar organization where you see those donations uh, being given. And, and they need to be those donations that can be used. But I see so many times that people are donating things that are so broken down, oh, I'm not going to use it. I'll give it to them and then they'll give it out to somebody who needs it. Would you really give to somebody who needs just something that's broken down? Well, not when you think about it that way. I want to give to them something good that they could use. God's command, God's, God's direction through Malachi is here, you're giving me imperfect things to a father that is perfect. And, and speaking about the, the, the he, he uses the word profane. Have you ever been in a situation where, I mean, I'll tell you, I was in the Navy and I used to cuss. I cussed like a sailor before I joined the Navy. They just perfected it. But I would use profanity just as a, a, a matter of speech. If something didn't have a profane word in it, it wasn't being heard. It was the way I talked. But now, as a believer, when I've cleaned that up, when I'm confronted with somebody who uses profanity, I'm, I'm kind of taken aback. Why did you add that word? You didn't need to add that word. We see that profanity as, as laced in with conversation. And God uses that same word profane to say, that's what you're bringing to me. You're bringing to me guttural things. Things that are broken and imperfect. And I am your perfect Father. Why are you doing this? Look at the reality of your situation. He goes on to say, Malachi goes on to say, that God finds no pleasure in their sacrifice. He will not accept it. This infers that God does find pleasure in pure sacrifice. He's pleased by that. He enjoys that. We we have a God who, as we sang just a minute ago, is an almighty God. Amen? Beautiful worship. Thank you, Moy, for leading that. But He's also a Father who's tender toward us. And He is pleased or displeased with how we come to Him. Frankly, God is saying, what you offer isn't pure. It isn't pure. In chapter 2, we see that the Lord is rebuking the priests. Matthew Henry, who was a minister in the late 1600s, said this, Nothing profanes the name of God more than misconduct of those whose business... It is to do honor to it. Nothing profanes the name of God. We used this word profanity just a minute ago. Nothing profanes the name of God more than those whose business, our pastors, our elders, whose job it is to bring honor to the Lord and to teach how to honor the Lord. 
The priests during this time in Malachi weren't doing that. The reason that people were giving corrupt sacrifices was because the priests did not address the gravity of what a pure sacrifice was supposed to be. Without the teaching of what the truth is, people are led astray. I don't know about y'all, but I look on Facebook and I see these little things that are said, don't be, don't be like sheep, don't follow. Listen, I, I'm, I'm telling you, we're all sheep, right? We are, but we have a perfect shepherd. And as long as we're following the perfect shepherd, we are well cared for. We have under-shepherds. We have pastors, we have worship leaders, we have elders in this church whose function is to help lead that way just as our perfect shepherd leads the way. So frankly, if you're not following the way, if you're, if you're falling aside from that, then your leaders are not doing a good job of explaining what the truth is. Now, having said that, don't depend on pastors and elders to give you all of the truth. You have the Bible yourself. One of my desires, one of my uh, true uh, wants in this sermon, and, and in other sermons, frankly, is that if it generates a thought in your mind, well, that, that doesn't seem right. I, I, I don't understand that. That you would go to your pastor, that you would go to your elder, you would go to whoever's preaching that message and say, explain that to me. What, what I'm reading here doesn't match with what you said or doesn't match with what I heard. Please explain that to me. That's a true desire of mine and I can tell you from pastors that's a true desire of theirs. If you're going to follow well, know what you're following and know who you're following. God, this is um, in Malachi where he talks about uh, rebuking the priests. God's disgust with the priest is so vehement that it's described as he states he would spread dung on their faces. The humiliation that goes, that's how disgusted God is with the way that they are leading the nation of Israel. I'll put dung on your faces. How humiliating. But apply that to our lives. How humiliating would I feel that if God said, you have profaned my name and my desire and my, uh, uh, for you so much that I will reject you to that extent. Not that our salvation is rejected. Our salvation is secure. But again, as I talked about just a minute ago, we have chastisement. And God can reject our, serve, our, our, our offering and our sacrifice. And how humiliating is that to know that a father says, it's not, it's not right. Through the polluted, corrupted offerings, the God has withheld His blessings in the temple, which tells us that the temple has been built during this time. He has withheld favor. He holds back blessings on His children through their disobedience. And what we really don't like is that He lets our enemies prosper during that time. 
When He's withholding blessing from us and He lets our enemies prosper, we don't like that. Again, that's not fair. Look at what I just talked about a minute ago. In deep introspection in your life, do you really want fair? We have to come to the fact that God is sovereign and His will be done. When He places favor on one and blessings on one and withholds blessings from another, we have to understand that God is sovereign and His will be done. If His favor for me is being withheld, it's not always the fact that my, uh, my offering and my sacrifice isn't right. But His good and perfect will for my life is to do good for me, His good, and I have to understand that blessing is being withheld for a reason. What we really want, if we're honest with ourselves, when our enemies prosper and blessing is withheld from us, what we really want is we want to be elevated. We want to be elevated. I mean, that's our carnal desire. That's our fleshly desire that we want to be elevated over. I'm chosen. I'm His child. Lift me up over these others. Again, He is sovereign and we are not. Malachi goes on to talk about another uh, reason uh, that God's not pleased with the nation of Israel and Judah at this time is in the instance of marriage. There's two things that are going on here in the, in the institution of marriage during this time when Malachi is talking about it. One is the marriage to idolaters. The New Testament talks about being not equally yoked. When you're, when, during this time, you're married to an idolater, you're welcoming that idol into your home. Think about that just a minute. You're welcoming something into your house that is frankly evil and represents evil. That's what was going on in the marriage of idolaters. It was not a pure faith. It was not a pure sacrifice that was being given and offered to God, a pure and holy Father. That's one thing that was going on during this time. The other was divorce. But a certain type of divorce. There there are biblical grounds for divorce. And if you don't know what those are, look them up yourself. That's a challenge to look into your own Bible and find that what that means. But during this time, they were uh, people were divorcing as a matter of ease, as a matter of comfort, as a matter of, of something easy to get into. I'm not happy with my spouse. It's not convenient for me anymore. I'll just get a divorce. Marriage was not held as sanctified. Look in today's society. The divorce rate in Christians is actually higher than it is in the secular world. We're not holding to the covenant that God has called us to. Now understand if if you're divorced, this is not a, a beating down of the decision you made. 
but it is a conviction looking forward of what my marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is not, as many people think, a contract between two people. Have you ever entered into a contract when you, when you buy a car and you, and you sign the, the loan papers for the car? You, you buy a house and you sign the loan papers for that house. I'll pay you this. You provide me that. If I fail to pay, this will happen. Right? That's a contract. Marriage is not a contract between two people. It is a relationship between three individuals. Three individuals. You have one spouse, the husband, one spouse, the wife. Marriage is between a man and woman. Can we all agree on that? You have a husband, you have a wife, and you have God Almighty. The covenant that is made, the vows that are made to each other in that marriage are not made here. I don't promise you this. I don't promise you that. I make a vow to God that I will look over you, that I will cling to you, that I will do those things. What a beautiful picture of what the Trinity is. Three in one, three parts that make one entity. God gives us that picture. And the people during this time were denying that. There was also a covenant with the priest called the Levitical Covenant. We talk about the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, and those things, but there was also a Levitic Covenant. And it goes back to this time. It started during this time. The, the, the Levites in Jews, in, uh, uh, before the... You ever seen the movie, the, uh, the Ten Commandments? And Moses had the Levite robe. Well, that Levitic Covenant hadn't happened yet. When they go to Mount, when the, when the nation of Israel goes to Mount Sinai and people turn their backs with the golden calf and God says, who will stand with me? The Levites, we will stand with you. That was the beginning of the Levite covenant. I will bless you because you have committed to me. They had a function, the Levites had a function was to impart that knowledge to the nation. Unfortunately, the priests of Malachi's times were not imparting that knowledge of God and His character. Instead, they were offering a corrupt message. I I shared that just a minute ago. It's important to know that the Levite priests at this time, and, and we often look at, I talked about it a minute ago about our pastors and our elders as being that, but also the New Testament calls us to be a royal priesthood. The priesthood that existed for them during that time is the same priesthood that exists to you. As you share that truth, is it the real truth that you're sharing with other people? Going back to marriage, it says in Malachi that he is a witness of that marriage. As those covenants are being given, he's a witness of that. I talked about the, the, the Trinity picture of a, a husband and wife. But we also have to see if you're not married, that doesn't exclude you. 
Because we are seen as believers, as the church, as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. That, that Trinity picture, we're enveloped into that, into that picture as the church. And our groom, Jesus Christ, bringing us into direct fellowship with God Almighty, with God the Father. In chapter 3, through Malachi, God states that He will send His messenger. Many theologians agree that this messenger that He's speaking about is John the Baptist. That He will send this messenger and He will, uh, he will offer His message. But the point is, God speaks of His coming, the, the, the messenger's coming, and what that means. And he asks, frankly, are you going to be ready for it? Are you going to be ready for the message that comes? Vert chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, But who can endure the day of His coming, and who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Now, we see this refiner also as Jesus Christ. He has a refining that He brings to us. So what, if John the Baptist is His messenger, what refining does He bring? Well, frankly, the message of John the Baptist was that of repentance. Turning back to God. Turning back to God infers that I was not turned toward Him in the first place. So in this message that John the Baptist brings of repentance, we have to be honest with ourselves. Is there an area in my life that needs repentance? That I need to turn back to God? I can't answer for you what those things are in your life. But I wake up every morning, I go to bed every night with a prayer on my lips. God, show me if there's anything unclean in my heart that needs to be turned back to you. He goes on to talk about our favorite part of Malachi, robbing God. Here we uh, have the question, how am I robbing God? The question again, how am I robbing God, also brings the question of, is my offering really necessary? God, God has everything. Does He need my little thing? Is it really necessary? Is it really important in the big scheme of things? Well, we can answer overtly, yes, we know it is. But looking personally, we have to look uh, deeper. God speaks of earthly fathers who have not kept God's commandments, and the curse of them has fallen on the children. Understand that the same disobedience that was seen in the fathers is seen in the children. Just as we were talking about pastors and elders teaching down to the, to the flock, that as fathers and, and mothers in a relationship, we have the same responsibility to share the truth with the next generation. There are such things that a generational curse. And it's our, it's our duty to impart that truth to show them the gravity of that situation. 
In the disobedience, God says that the offering is cursed. Why? Because it's not pure. It's not consistent with the character of God who is holy. Right here we begin to see that God, what God seeks in our sacrifice and our offerings. That they are purified through that refiner's fire we just talked about. That they be pure and holy. That we bring a pure sacrifice in the offering. That when it's brought to righteousness in the Lord is when it is pure. So as, as I go through the Word and as I read things, I ask myself questions. Well, how does that apply to me? What do I need to be doing differently? We ask ourselves, how do I make my offering pure? How do I ensure that it has gone through the re- refiner's fire? How do I make it sacred? Now we begin to look at the art of sacrifice. There we go. Can you see that? That's the art of a child. You ever go to a museum, you see the real thing? The art of a child. The art of our sacrifice is that of the art of a child. Breck made that when he was very, very young and gave it to me, and it's a treasured thing, and it sits on my desk. Why? Because it was a sacrifice he made for his father. It was a sacrifice. Breck had to get his little fingers in paint. He had to wear his dad's shirt backwards. I don't know if y'all remember doing that in art class. As a kid, you wear your dad's shirt backwards. That's your new art apron. He had to do that. He had, to, he had this little image in his mind of what I want to put down on this thing to give to my dad. And the sacrifice, how do I transfer this image that's in my mind to this thing? I want it to be perfect. I want it to be good. I want it to be presentable to my dad. That's the heart of sacrifice. The question that that Breck may have asked, I've never asked him this. The question he may have asked, but we also ask in ourselves, is it good enough? Is it pure enough? Is it right? Am I doing the thing that God calls me to do? The question we asked in the beginning, we're doing what we're, we're supposed to do. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do, or am I doing it with a heart for my Father to be pleased? Did I look at that when, when Breck brought it home and said, that's a pretty sorry piece of art. I can hardly read what it says. No. I treasured it. I cherished it. Because it was made with a pure heart. One that simply wanted to please a parent. So how can we take on that mind of a child as we offer our artwork to our Heavenly Father? We work at it. We have intentionality toward that sacrifice. I'm doing something to present to my Father, and I want it to be pleasing to Him. So I get my fingers in the paint. I put my dad's shirt on backwards. I have this image in my mind. I do these things. And imagine as a parent, you're watching that action actually take place. How pleasing that is. 
that my child just wants to please their dad. The thought is not of quality, but of purity. It's not how well I do something. It's the purity in which I offer it. This is very clear direction from our Savior Jesus Christ as to how we make that sacrifice pure. In Matthew 5.22, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What we see here is what doesn't make my gift, doesn't make my offering, doesn't make my sacrifice pure and holy is the fact that I'm holding bitterness in my heart. Do I have bitterness in my heart? Am I holding something against somebody? Am I not being forgiving? If so, I need to purge myself of those things. I need to give the sacrifice of forgiveness. I need to go and be reconciled with my brother. I need to go and be reconciled with those people that have something against me. If I owe you $5, I need to give you the $5. If there's some barrier between us, we need to rectify that. A couple of years ago, my sisters and I got into a disagreement. And there was a barrier between us. And we didn't talk for weeks, months maybe. And the whole time, I I felt that in my heart just gnawing away. And until we came together and were reconciled with each other, we didn't feel the joy of that relationship that we had always shared. There's a cost to that bitterness and it eats away at us. So we need to clear the hate, the animosity, the unforgiveness from our heart before we can offer anything to our Father. Otherwise, it is detestable in His sight. So what does this mean? This means our prayers need to be pure and holy. I don't need to have this bitterness in my heart when I offer a prayer to my Father, both of praise and petition. God, reveal to me if there's anything unclean in my heart. Let me get rid of it. Let me purge that unforgiveness that I had before I even speak to you for praise and petition. It also means our works and our service. The things I do for the Lord. What's what's my motivation? If I'm honest with myself, there's sometimes that my act of service, my motivation is I want to have a pat on the back. God, you did a great job with that. Well, thank you. But that's not that should not be my real motivation. My real motivation should be that pure sacrifice that I'm giving to my Father that He will be pleased with as a as a work of art and sacrifice. Our heart needs to be pure in our, in our act of the gospel tre- presentation. If our true desire is another person's conversion, 
into belief in Christ, I can't be holding anything back in my heart that they may see as bitterness. It needs to be a pure presentation. My tithe. Y'all didn't think I was going to get all the way through Malachi without talking about tithing. But our tithe needs to be pure. Again, it's not the quality, but the purity in which my heart gives. Think of a kid, a child, doing chores around the house so that they can get money to buy something for their parent. That's what our, that's what our tithes and our offerings and our gifts are. We've taken what the Father has given us and we want to give it back to Him. That's, that's all that is. And it needs to be done with a pure heart. But especially the sacrifice, the offering that we give is our love for one another. If I have bitterness in my heart toward you, I can't give you pure love. That agape love that God talks about that is totally poured into you, I can't do that if I have bitterness in my heart. He talks about, uh, Malachi talks about remembering the law of Moses, the promise of Elijah and the coming of the Lord. Before we remember the law of Moses, we have to know it. We have to read the Bible and understand what that law means so that when someone comes and asks us, we can speak intelligently about what that is. The promise of Elijah that he is going to make Israel holy. The Holy Spirit resides in us, but there's going to come a day when I am made purely holy. There be no bad thing in me. And that's the promise of Elijah. And the coming of the Lord. The, 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 Jesus is going to return. Amen? The text that was read was chapter 4, and that's what we're going to finish up with. Malachi chooses, chooses to promise, uh, reveal his book in the promise of prophecy, for behold, the day is coming. What day? What's going to happen? What are we supposed to look for? We're going to read the, the chapter again in just a second, but I want you to come to grips with something before we do. We're better than everybody else. We're smarter. We're better looking. We know more than they do. Right now, if you're not asking yourself the question, what in the world is Kyle talking about? Then there's something you need to wrestle with too. But let's read chapter 4 again with that thought process of being better than everybody else. Chapter, uh, verses 1 through 3. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not leave them, it will leave them with neither root nor branch. But for those who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go, go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. I'm better than everybody else. 
I'm going to be lifted up while my enemies are trampled down below me. That's a great message. But let's look at who that enemy is, who the wicked and evildoers are. My real Satan, my, my real enemy, the true enemy, the wicked, is Satan. There's coming a day when he will be trampled. Then he will be put into a lake of fire. That day is coming. We talked in the beginning about God chooses. God chooses on who He will have mercy and who He will not. There is coming a time when some will be chosen and some will not. As believers, we know that we are chosen, not by our own works, but by the works of Christ. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that there are not evildoers in this world. There are child traffickers. There are abortion promoters. That is evilness in the sight of the Lord. And those people that do that have evilness in their heart. But you know what? If there was hope for me in the midst of my sin, there's hope for them. And we need to pray desperately that those that are without God in their lives come to a saving knowledge of Christ in their lives. We see this urgency, this burden for people that don't know Christ. Know Him. Know what grace is. Know what salvation is. Know what the fires of hell are. And knowing what the redemption of Christ means. The truth is, I'm not better than everybody else. I'm not smarter. I'm not better looking. I'm none of those things. We have to present the gospel to those that are lost in the same way it was presented to me. Kyle, in and of yourself, you have evil in your heart. But praise God through Christ, you can have the Holy Spirit in your heart. Verse 2 says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now first, it says the Son of Righteousness. That's S-U-N. This is not a picture of Christ. Son of Righteousness is healing that's lifted up. The healing that we get through Christ. We shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I don't know if you've ever seen a newborn calf. Leaping around in pure, unbridled joy. Or if you've seen that in children at play. Jumping around, running around. You remember a time in your life when you ran just to run? Just because I wanted to get from here to there, I'm going to run over there. That day's not here for Kyle Rell anymore. But that joy that they just wanted to run around. You see a child doing that unbridled joy. That's the day that, that's going to happen for us as believers. When Christ comes and He reveals Himself to us in a real physical way, the joy will be unparalleled. Verses 4 through 6. Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet. And when the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and He turns the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come with a degree of utter destruction. What I see in this text is that we are called to reconciliation. We're turned to return to relationships. That 
is the art of sacrifice. Because that is the beauty of the cost of the cross. We talk about the art of sacrifice and the beauty of sacrifice. The beauty of the cross. Where Jesus took on sin. All sin. So that we could be redeemed to a heavenly Father. So as we close today, I'm going to say you're in one of three positions in your life. You know Christ. You feel firm in your relationship with Him. But you know people that don't. Pray for those people. Or you have a relationship with Christ and there's some barrier there. There's some obstacle that, are, that is stopping the harmony that is in your relationship with Him. As we pray, pray for that obstacle to be torn down. Or thirdly, you may be in the position you don't have a clue in the world what all this stuff means. I don't know what redemption means. I don't know what that stuff means. Today's a day that you can know what that redemption means. If you hear the pleading of of what Malachi is saying is bring this pure sacrifice to me, Find someone, find an elder, find a pastor in church after the service today and ask that question. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You so very much that You, through Your Son, Jesus Christ, have given us the picture of pure sacrifice. That without hesitation, Your Son went to the cross so that we can be redeemed back to You in a perfect relationship as Your children. Father, put a burden on our heart to share that truth with others. Father, put a burden on our heart to offer to You what You're due because You are holy. You are sovereign. You are worthy of the sacrifice that we offer. We thank You, Lord, for all things. And we say this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.